Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us for the NCC podcast. God is doing so many great things in our community, and I trust that he's doing great things in your life as well. And I trust that God is going to speak to you through this message. Well, hey, here at North Point, we have said that 2023 is our year of... Oh, Lord, I'm gone one week. I am not here for one week, and uh, my good friend, Eddie, how many of you enjoyed Eddie, Eddie Briary last week? Come on. Wasn't that awesome? That was amazing, uh, but I go, I go away for one week, and uh, you forget what year it is here at North Point Community Church. Well, I'm back. It is the year of legacy, so we can all say it together. Here at North Point, 2023 is our year of? Legacy. That's right. It is our year of legacy, and our, our theme, our, our motto for the year is live the legacy you want to leave. Live the legacy that you want to leave. We, we hear a lot of talk about leaving legacy, but listen, you cannot leave a legacy better than you lived. You are living your legacy each and every day, which causes us to now live more intentionally about how am I living today because I want to leave a certain kind of legacy. And whenever we... We read the scriptures, we go into the Bible, what we read is, is we read so many legacy stories. And in Hebrews chapter 11, where we're going to be spending a lot of time uh, this year, we, we actually refer to Hebrews 11 as the, the hall of fame of faith because there are so many legacy stories in Hebrews 11, legacy, legacy stories about people's faith. And, and today we're going to start there in Hebrews 11, um, and we're actually kicking off a brand new series today, a series entitled Better Than Some. Better than some. And so for the next five weeks, uh, we're actually going to be looking at the, the first story mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the first Old Testament Bible character that's actually referenced. And, and it's found in verse 4 of Hebrews 11. And this is what the scripture says. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. The scripture tells us that Abel brought a better offering, and because of that offering, he was declared righteous by God. And because of Abel's legacy of faith, because his, his, his legacy of giving generously to God. His story still speaks even though he's dead, which is a good reminder to each and every one of us that lets us know that even when we are dead, the story of our life will still speak. It will speak of our generosity. It will speak of our faithfulness, or it will speak of other things that we might not want it to speak of. But here we read of Abel being commended by God because of his faith and because of this generous offering. And, and maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't really know that story. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, oh yeah, I know the story of, of Cain and Abel. Well, we're gonna look quickly at that story in Genesis chapter four. And uh, God created Adam and he created Eve. And then Adam and Eve out of the creation of God had procreation and there was Cain and there was Abel. And this is the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter four, starting in verse two. It says, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. 
but you must subdue it and be its master. I want to look at just a few verses that are found there, uh, right there in the passage that we just read. And in verse 3, it says this, When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some. Everybody say some. some. He presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. But Abel also brought a gift, the best. Everybody say the best. Yes. He brought the best portions of the firstborn. Say firstborn. The firstborn lambs of his flock. Now, whenever we came into this year, we, we came into this year asking a question. Uh, we did a little series at the end of 2022 entitled, What Matters Most? And so we came into this year asking ourselves that question, what matters most? And we actually added another word to that, even for more clarity and more confirmation. And that was this, the, what matters most really? What really matters most? What does my time distribution say really matters most to me in my life? What about my energy? What is my energy going to? What does it say really matter to me? What about my finances and my resources? What does it show me and speak to me about what really matters most to me. And then today, if you are a Jesus follower, there is a follow-up question to that. We don't just ask what matters to me, but the follow-up question is this. Is what matters most to me, does that matter most to God? Does what matter most to me matter most to God? And now here's what I believe, that whenever we answer that question and we say, this is what matters most, then these Statements should be true that what matters most to you deserves more than some. What matters most to you deserves your best. If you answer the question and say, these are the things that matter most to me, then those things, they deserve more than some. They deserve your best best. What we see in the scriptures is that Cain brought some. <laughs> he brought some of his crop. But Abel, Abel brought the best of his flock. Now, now the, then the question becomes, okay, why, why did this happen? Well, there's, there's a way of thinking that goes into this, and we're going to talk about that. But then we're also going to look at how. How can we bring our best to God and not just the rest to God. How can we bring our best to God and not just the rest, not just what is left over? How, how, how can we bring, if our relationship with God really matters, and we say, man, this really matters most to me, my relationship with God. If that really matters, then how do I bring my best to God and not just give God what's left over of my time, what's just left over of my finances, or what's just left over with my, my relation? How do I just give God, how do I give God my best and not just the rest? Because there's one thing that this story of Cain and Abel really speaks to us. And that is that God doesn't really get excited about the sum. Cain brought some. He didn't bring nothing. He wasn't like, oh, I'm not showing up. <laughs> I'm giving God zero. He brought some, but what we see in the text is that God didn't get excited about some. Because what God says is if this really matters, what would you bring? You would bring your best. You would bring your best offering. And so that's what we're going to be exploring over these few weeks that we have together of how do we bring the best to God in every area of our life. Now, we're also going to use this series as a little play on words because better than some, uh, one of the things that can, that, can, that, can, uh, that can get in there is that we start comparing ourselves to others, right? And I don't know if you've ever, maybe you've said this uh, when you're comparing, well, I mean, I'm better than some, you know? I mean, I try to use this with destiny, right? I'm like, well, I'm better than some husbands, right? <laughs> to which she replies, I didn't marry some, I married you, <laughs> which means get your act together, buddy, right? <laughs> and so we're going we're gonna to talk about comparison, but comparison, look, it does the same thing. It keeps us from giving our best because we start focusing on the rest of the people. And so we want to ask ourselves, okay, how 
do I bring God my best in every area of my life? How do I do that? And what stands in the way of that? Well, we, we get a, a big clue right here in Hebrews chapter 11 when, when the writer of Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abel brought a better offering. By faith, Abel brought a better offering. Not by obligation, not by tradition, not by law, not by rule, not by duty, but it was by faith that Abel brought a better offering to God. Why? Because faith is always about the position and the posture of our heart. Abel was not bringing something out of obligation. He was not bringing something because there was a law and there was a rule and he wanted to be a rule follower. No, Abel's heart and the posture and position of his heart towards God was this. God, I want to bring you the very best. And so I want to give us a thought today that Abel brought the best to God because he believed the best about God. That the reason Abel brought his best to God is because Abel believed the very best about God. You know, I think it's interesting that here in verse 4, this is where we find the context of of Cain and Abel. Verse 5 in Hebrews 11, there's a man mentioned by the name of Enoch. And Enoch uh, did not actually die on this earth. The Bible says that God came and took him from this earth. Like he was like, whoof, vanished, gone. Like God took him straight up to heaven that he did not die here on this earth. But then in verse 6, now depending on whether you believe Hebrews was a, was a book that was written or some people believe that it was actually a, a, an oration, there was actually like a sermon being preached that was captured whether you believe it was spoken or whether you believe it was written, right here, this is, what, this is what I tend to believe when I read this. As the writer or the speaker was thinking about Abel and this sacrifice, this offering that he brought to the Lord, something, and, and then Enoch, and how Enoch was taken straight to heaven, he says, wow. He says, in verse 6, he says, listen, if you are going to come to God, there's two things that have to happen. One, you have to believe that he exists, and two, you have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. So it's almost like the story of of Abel. It sparks something in the speaker or it sparks something in the writer and he says, wow, there was something about Abel that believes something about God that put something into action that didn't happen for somebody else. Cain, his brother, brings some, but Abel brings his best. And so we have to ask ourselves, what what causes that? What causes us at times not to give God our best? What causes us to just bring some of what we got and then look at other people's some and go, well, my son's better than their son. The writer of uh, 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he's bringing this now into the context of the church in in Corinth. And this is what he writes to the church at Corinth. And I want you to even imagine like that that the Apostle Paul is here. Like he's, the way he's writing this letter, he's here, he's speaking this to us. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this. He says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they, speaking of the people of God, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Their good deeds, what he said, their legacy will be remembered. Their story will be told forever. Their story of generosity, their story of bringing their best, it will always be told. For God loves, Scripture says, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. One translation actually says, God loves those who love to give. God loves those who love to give. Why? Because God loves to give. We say often here that you will never be more like God than when you give because it's the very essence of God, that God is a giver. I mean, the the most well-known scripture uh, around the world, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave. God, God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave because that's what God does. God is a giver. And now the interesting thing about Paul is he says here, he says, you have to decide in your heart. This is up to you. This is the beauty about God is that God's not going to force you into anything. God's not going to force you to do anything. He's going to say, you have to decide in your heart what you want to bring to me. You have to decide in your heart what it is that you are willing to give. And now, let's just stop right here, right? Let's just stop right here. Because what can happen when we start talking about offering and we start talking about finances and we start talking about money and, right, and people in the church go, hmm. We, you know, it can feel taboo, right? Like, uh, we should, I mean, shouldn't we just be talking about Jesus, right? Like, you know what I mean? And money can feel taboo, but can I just tell you this? Money is so common. Money is so common. I mean, everybody in this room, probably this week, you had at least one thought about money. I guarantee you that you've had conversations in your lifetime concerning money. I'm going to really go on a limb here and probably say at some time you probably had some problems around money. <laughs> and maybe even some stress because of money. Listen, G- G- Jesus knew. Jesus knew that money was something that we would all be able to relate to. That, that's why Jesus spoke so frequently about money. He spoke more about money than heaven, more, more about money and possessions than hell. He spoke more about money and possessions than almost anything else. Why? Because he knew it was something that we would all have in common. It was something that we could all relate to. And so here is my challenge to us today and on this journey for the next few weeks, and it is this. Don't get funny when we talk about money. Because the reality is, is it's common. And Jesus talked about it a lot. Jesus told 38 parables, approximately, roughly, depending on who you is, but we'll go with 38. He told 38 parables. And listen, 11 of his 38 parables had to deal with money. Another five had to deal with possessions. So when you add that, you're talking 16 out of the 38 stories that Jesus tells, they are revolving around your finances and your stuff. Why? Because he knew we could all relate to these things. And when you put that in context, that means that 30% of the stories Jesus told, he told about money. 42% of he was either talking about money or your stuff. That would be like four out of every 10 Sundays you came to church and I was talking about your money or your stuff. <laughs> be like, oh, thank God, Philip's not Jesus, right? Okay, I mean like. <laughs> but Jesus did not back away from talking about it because he knew that we related to it. And listen, you know what Jesus wants for you? The Bible says in, in, in John, John, John 10, verse 10, right? Jesus says, I came that you might have the abundant life that you might have life to the full, that you would have life until it overflows. Jesus came for you to live the abundant life. But do you know the only way you can have the abundant life is whenever you get every area of your life in alignment with God's way? You can't just get your spiritual life and check off, you know, I do my Bible reading and I have my prayer time and, 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 and your emotions be, be all out of whack or, or your physical body. No, it all works together. And here's what we can do. We can say, well, I mean, I'm coming to church and I'm reading my Bible. But listen, the abundant life is going to be dependent upon every area of your life. Every area of your life being surrendered and submitted to God's way of doing life. Because here's what we know. This is statistics. The second 
main cause for divorce in America is finances. Think about that. And, that, and it had been number one for, for almost 50 years. It was number one. It was just recently eclipsed by social media, and that's another sermon for another time. But finances is a close second to, the, to, to being the number one cause of divorce. And so when we talk about the abundant life and then we talk about the stress that finances puts on a marriage and it puts on relationships and it robs our peace and it steals our joy and it, and it clouds our perspective and, all, and then we're wondering, why am I not living the abundant life? Because there is a way to do our finances that God has put in his book for us to follow. And whenever we live life his way, what we get to experience is his life that he designed us for, which is the abundant life. Now, now, whenever it comes to God and money, I want you to remember this. This is vitally important. That God wants something for you more than he wants something from you. When God is talking to you about your finances, whenever he's talking to you about your giving, God is doing it because he has something for you. He, he's not just trying to get something from you. Listen, there, there is nobody in this room that could give God enough that you could make God rich. <laughs> God's not up there dependent upon, upon your offering, right? But here's what God knows. Your life is dependent on your offering. And so God says, I want to do some things for you. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to do something for you. And if it's all going to work, then what's going to have to happen is you are going to have to commit in your heart to live by faith. And when you commit to live by faith, what you bring to God is your best, not some. So with that in mind, I've got three questions for you today. These three questions are just going to kind of set a little framework for us moving forward. Because whenever we go, okay, why is it? Why is it that I find myself either giving God none or giving God some, like just like sporadic kind of giving, like random, like this time, okay, this or that, instead of giving God my best when it comes to every area of my life, but, but definitely for this series in, in a context in, in our finances, why is it that, that, that sometimes I just settle for, for, for what Cain did, just to bring some? Why is that? Why, why is it that I don't bring God my best? And I think sometimes it's just because of how we're thinking. It's our thought processes that revolve around God and money. And because our thought processes are, are, aren't complete and our thought processes don't take us there, we just find ourselves bringing something to God, but it's not the thing that God asked for, Right? And so I, these are just three questions that I believe are really going to kind of help us in, in reframing and helping our mind to see this in, in the right way. So let's, let's dive into these three questions today. Uh, the, the first question that we have to ask ourselves is this, who do you belong to? The first question is, who do you belong to? Because that question really matters. Because if you belong to you, you're going to do life one way. <laughs> But if you don't belong to you anymore, you're going to do life a different way. And this is what the scripture says of who do you belong to. Psalm 100 says this, know that the Lord is God. He made us and we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep he tends. We are the sheep and he is the shepherd. We are the creation he is the creator. We, as human beings, belong to the one who created us. Now, aren't there times where you wish that you were the shepherd and Jesus was the sheep and he would go where you wanted him to go and life would be the way? Absolutely, huh? of course, but that's not the way it works. He is the shepherd and we are the sheep and he is guiding us into all truth. He is guiding us into the principle and the way of living that will create the life that he created us for. The Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God. 
and that you are not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. You were bought, (laughs) you were purchased, and the price was high. The price was the blood and the life of God's one and only son. And when you choose to put your faith, hope, and trust in the name of Jesus and in his sacrifice so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could spend eternity in heaven forever, the scripture says, okay, you don't belong to you anymore. You now belong to someone else. Who do you belong to? This is the way Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. So if you want to save your life, if you want to save your way of life, if you want to do life your way, then you're going to lose the life that he created you to have. There is an eternal life for you, but even more than that, there is also an abundant life for you here on this earth. And you will forfeit that life if you hold on to your way of doing life. He says, however, whoever loses their life for me is going to find it. Whenever you submit and surrender your way of thinking and living to God, and you start to live his way, then guess what? Guess what you find? You find life. You find his life, you find abundant life, and you find eternal life. But it all starts with this question of who do we belong to? That's the first question that we have to ask and we have to answer. We don't just ask it, we answer it. Who do you really believe that you belong to? Because if you still belong to you, then the rest of this is, is not applicable. But if you would say today, no, I really believe in the creator and I believe I'm his creation. I believe that I was purchased by the blood of Jesus, that I'm going to go to heaven, that I have been adopted into his family, that that I am the sheep of his pasture, and and I really want that life, the, the life that Jesus created me for, so I'm going to surrender my way. Okay, if that's the case and we say, okay, I belong to God, then here's the second question. The second question is this. Who does your stuff belong to? Who do you belong to? But then the second question is, who do your stuff belong to? And now, it only makes sense that if you don't belong to you, then your stuff doesn't belong to you either. But can we just take a time out and be honest for a moment and say, okay, we can see the logic in that, but there is a little two-year-old in all of us that wants to reach up and say, mine, Mine. That's, 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 that's my money. That's, that's my car. That's my house. It's, it's mine. And don't you know that God is up there with Jesus going, look, isn't that cute? <laughs> isn't that cute that they think that that is theirs? Look at that little two-year-old fit that Philip is throwing down there. Jesus, look at that. Isn't that funny? Because here's what we know. What the scripture says in, in, in Psalm chapter 24 It says, God claims the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. God has claimed everything to belong to him. And it says that everything and everyone, so not only do we belong to him, but everything belongs to him. Everything on every tree, every dollar, Every animal, you can't name a thing God has already claimed. And it says, yep, that belongs to me. Everyone. Well, they they don't believe in God. God said, okay, they belong. It's mine. It's mine. I I put it here. I made it. It belongs to me. So here's what we realize. We don't actually own stuff, right? If if we don't belong to ourselves, we belong to him, and our stuff belongs to him. We, We don't actually own stuff. Guess what? Then we just get to steward stuff. Now, we don't use that word steward a whole lot. That word steward, it actually just means a person who manages another's property, right? So we don't own anything, 
but we steward God's stuff. He's the owner of the property, and we steward stuff for him. And Jesus tells us a story. It's a parable. And when Jesus tells us the parable, he tells us the parable to know what the kingdom of heaven is like so that we can get an idea of how the kingdom of God operates. This is the way and the principle of which, uh, of how God exists. And he tells this story in Matthew chapter 25. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Everybody say his money. money. It wasn't their money, it was his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Jesus giving us a story of the way that the kingdom of God operates on the earth. And what we realize is that the question isn't, am I an owner or am I a steward? The real question is, what kind of steward am I going to be? What kind of steward am I going, am I going to be a five-bag steward, a two-bag steward, or a one bag steward. What kind of steward? What am I going to do with all that God has given me? Am I going to give my best back to him or am I just going to do what I want to do? And then our our last question, it it really plays a, a huge role into how we steward God's stuff. And the third question is this, is who do you think God is? Who do you think God is? Is God really good or is God really greedy? Is God a giver or is God a taker? Does God keep his word or does he overpromise and underdeliver? Who do I think God 
is because we, we see in the story that there was the, the five-bag servant, the two-bag servant, and then the one-bag servant. And, and what we see in the text is right there in verse 24. It says, then the servant one-bag came and said, Master, I knew you're a harsh man. You harvest crops you didn't plant. You gather crops you didn't cultivate. And, and, and I was afraid of you, so I was afraid I was going to lose my money. So I just hid it in the earth. But here is my objection. That doesn't sound or appear to be the master who is actually in the story. I mean, the master in the story is entrusting his money to them. He is entrusting his estate to them. And he's not just going on a weekend trip. He's going away for a long, long time. He is trusting them. And not only that, guess what? He is providing them with an opportunity to, to prove themselves and produce a better future. And then when they do it, he celebrates with them. The first two servants, he's like, so you're my good and faithful servant. He is celebrating the work that they do. And he wasn't just going to take it and be like, ha, 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 that's good for me. That means there's more for me. No, he says, I'm going to elevate you and I'm going to give you more favor and I'm going to give you more responsibility. <laughs> so it it doesn't seem that the master that the third servant is talking about is the master who really exists in the story. How could that be possible? It's possible because the servant's heart was not in alignment with the truth. The servant's heart wasn't in alignment with the truth. So, so the servant's thinking about the master wasn't right. Because his heart wasn't in alignment with the truth. His thoughts about the master, his perspective of the master was off. And because his perspective of the master was off, guess what? His money didn't go into the right place. His money went into the ground because he was afraid of the master. And he said, oh, you're a harsh man. You're a tough man. He's basically saying, you take, you didn't work for it. You didn't cultivate it. And you just, you just take from people. That's who you are. But that's not who the master was in the story. And so many times, this is what we can do. We can get all mixed up because our heart gets out of alignment with who God really is. And then we start getting a perspective in our mind that's not right. And so our money goes in places that we want it to go. Why? Simply because our thinking took it there. That's how the money ended up in the ground. Because he did not see the master for who the master really was. He wasn't thinking about the master the way that the five bag servant or the two bag servant was thinking about the master. Now, here's the, here's the beautiful part of the story. And this is, this is the very heart. This is the very heart of the master. This is the very heart of God, right? Like there, there is no guarantee. Like we don't read anything in the text about him telling the servants, now listen, if you guys do a really good job with what I'm gonna give you, then whenever I come back, I'm going to make sure that I elevate you. I'm gonna make sure that your life goes to the next level. I'm gonna make sure that you have more responsibility. I'm gonna make sure that you get, I'm gonna, that's not, that's not in what we read. But I believe it's in what they believed about the master. Because they took the five and he says they went to work. They took the two and they went to work because I believe they thought right about the master. And they said if I do what the master wants me to do with what he put in my hand, he is going to make sure that I have more than enough. But then there was that third servant. They said, oh, no, I was afraid. I was afraid, and I hid it in the ground because I knew who this you were. And, and, and if you know, you can be like, but I mean, but didn't the master say, well, if you knew I was a hard man? All he was saying was if that's what you believe, then you should have done even more than that. He's not, he's not getting an agreement saying, you're right, I am a harsh man. He says, if that's what you believe, then you should have at least taken it to the bank. You shouldn't have buried it. Like, that's, that's like dumb, dumb. Like, that's not dumb. That's dumb, dumb. 
But he's not getting agreement that that's who he is. He's saying, you missed the point. That's not me. That's not me. Because I, I am the master. I, I am the one who, who, who wants to upgrade. I am the one who wants you to live in abundance. I am the one who rewards you. And so many times, what shows up in our life as a money problem, it actually starts with a heart problem. It shows up as a money problem, but it, does, it starts actually as a heart problem. Why? Because in my heart, I don't believe the best about God. And because I don't believe the best about who he says he is, then, then I, don't, I don't do the best with my finances. And, and listen, what, what, what starts as a heart problem, it shows up as a money problem, but hear me, it always ends up as a life problem. Because they say, what's the cause of divorce? Money, but that's a life problem. <laughs> Stress in your, in your mind, the robbing you of peace, that's a life problem. You can't live with peace because you're so stressed out about your finances. It sucks all the joy out of life because you're trying to, how are you going to pay bills and how are you going to do this and, and the stress of money and it's sucking the joy out of your life and the peace out of your life. And all, so, so it shows up as a, it starts as a heart problem because my heart is not in alignment with the truth about who God is and what God has asked of me. And then it shows up as really a money problem, but it ends up as a life problem because things in my life start to fall apart. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said? If you want to hold on to your way of doing life, you're going to lose. You're going to lose because fear is going to win. You're going to lose because anxiety is going to win. You're going to lose because worry is going to win. You're going to lose because hopelessness is going to win. Because there is a way that I have asked you to do life. And when you do life that way, you will find real life, abundant life, overflow in your life. You will find peace. You will find joy. You will find security. You will find strength. You will find power. And you will find that you have everything you need to live on and then you will have actually a little extra to give away. I love what Martin Luther said as we close and the musicians can come now, but Martin Luther said this. He said, there, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind and the conversion of the purse. <laughs> this is in the life of every believer. There is first a conversion of the heart where in our heart we realize I am a sinner and I'm in desperate need of a savior. I need my sins to be forgiven and I wanna spend eternity with God in heaven. It's the conversion of the heart. But then if you want your life to be transformed, what do you have to do? You have to renew your mind. It's the conversion of your mind to begin to live like Christ on this earth. So we have a conversion of the heart. We have a conversion of a mind. But then there is this third conversion, as Martin Luther says. It is the conversion of the purse. The conversion of our finances. The conversion of us going. I don't want to just do life God's way in these areas of my life. I want to do life God's way in every area of my life. And I want to bring God the very best. Not just of my time. Not just of my worship on, on a Sunday morning or on my way to work. I, I want to bring God the very best best of my finances. I want to leave us with this thought today. And that is this, that bringing our best to God begins with believing the best about God. This is the story of Abel. This is the legacy of Abel. This is where we're going to be just for the next few weeks talking about how do we live out the legacy of Abel? How do we think like Abel thought, believed like Abel believed, so that we can leave a legacy of generosity, a legacy of bringing our best to God. Bringing our best to God begins with believing the best about God. Because you will never 
bring your best to something that you don't believe the best about. And I think this is the story of Cain and Abel. Abel brought some. He brought some. He brought some and God said, nah, that's not what I'm really looking for. I'm not really looking for some fruit. You can keep your mangoes. <laughs> you can keep your, your, your tangerines, right? You, you can keep, I'm not looking for some. God desires our best. And whenever we decide that God, you're most important, you're what really matters in my life, then what matters most deserves better than some. <laughs> what matters most deserves our best. And the only way we get there is by faith because it doesn't work out of it doesn't work out of obligation it doesn't work that's why it says you have to decide in your heart don't give under compulsion don't get don't give uh, under pressure no 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 that's not why you give you give from your own heart you decide in your heart what it is that you want to give and my prayer is that we would walk in the legacy and the story of Abel that we would say I don't want to bring some I don't want to settle for some. God, I want to bring you the best in every area of my life because that is what you deserve. I want to bring you the best of my attitude, the best of my time, the best of my energy, and I want to bring you the best of my finances. By faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith. So this journey that we're going on in these next few weeks, it's a faith journey. You could say, oh, it's a financial journey. No, 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 it's not, it's not a financial journey because Jesus always was attaching the finances to a heart. You can go back and read the parables for yourself because you will, you will bring your best to God when you begin to believe the best about God because you can't help it because you know that's who he is and that's what he will do. I want you to stand with me today. If we can throw the lead up there, I forgot the lead in the 930 service. If you throw the lead up there, some of you want to take a picture of it and just say, okay, this is where, this is, where, this is what we learned today. We learned today that we can bring our best to God in every area of our life. We can do better than some. <laughs> We can bring our best. Our evaluation, are you currently bringing God, bringing your best gift to God? That's the, the evaluation. Am I bringing God some? Or am I bringing God my best? And we'll be talking about more about that in detail in the next few weeks. The application, decide in your heart to give God your best. Decide, God, I believe the best about you and I want to bring my best to you. I want the legacy of Abel. I don't want to settle for some. And then the D is always the same. Let's just do it again. Do it again. Keep on bringing God our best. Come on, will you just bow your heads with me just for a moment today? How many say, Philip, that's what I want to do. I want to believe the best about God so that I can bring my best to God. It doesn't matter where, maybe you're already doing it. Say, Philip, I'm already, I'm giving above and beyond my time. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm doing all these different things. I've, I've been a consistent giver for, for three decades. Okay, great. Or maybe you say, Philip, I've never really done this before. Regardless of where you are in this room, you say, that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. That's what I want to do. I want to give God my best, and that's going to require me to believe the best about God. And so I want to start today with the posture and the position of my heart towards him. With my heart postured there, I want to say, God, I belong to you. God, my stuff belongs to you. 
God, help me to think about you in terms of who you really are. I want to see you clearly. And if that's you today, say, Philip, I want to believe the best about God and I want to bring my best to God. Right there where you are, we just want you to lift up your hand and say, that's me today. Come on, it's just a sign to yourself and a sign to God to say, God, I, 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 I hear what you're saying to me today. Come on, with that hand lifted right now, signifying. You might not know all the details. You might not know how this is going to work out, what it's going to look like. But with that hand lifted right now, you say, I want to believe the best about God and I want to bring my best to God. With that hand lifted, come on, say this prayer after me today. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I know that I need you. I need your love and your grace. I need your power and forgiveness. I believe you are who you say you are. And you can do what you say you can do. I want to believe the best about you. So that I can bring my best to you. All the days of my life. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that as we go throughout this week, as we begin to position and posture our hearts. To posture our hearts. Say, God, I belong to you. God, everything that I have, it belongs to you. Hey, God, I want to think differently about you so that I can continually bring my best to you so that I might live the life that you want me to live. Because God, you're not just trying to get something from me. There's something that you want for me. And when I do life your way, I create the pathway for you to get to me what you want to get to me. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we pray and believe. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's welcome Pastor Clarissa as she comes today. Thank you for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and share our podcast. For more content from NCC and how to get connected, visit ncc.team.